Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Boston Sanctuary since 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the Boston metropolitan area and beyond. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. We're located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets in downtown Boston, Massachusetts. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. Mostly, when we're not here, we're there. Cam and I, every year now, sometimes two or more times a year for many years, backpacking in the Grand Canyon. We love it with a perfect passion, love everything about it, even when it's 125 degrees or a blizzard blinds us to the slippery edge of the mile-deep fallaway. We dream about it, plan for it, shop and pack for it. The entire process of getting there has become part of the epic journey. Inevitably, though, there is a moment late on the afternoon of our last day at the bottom. We are always at the same place, the confluence of the Bright Angel Creek and the Colorado River, and it is time to return to our campsite farther up the creek, time to make dinner, sing grace, and eat, then wash up and turn in early because to avoid the desert heat of the day, we will be up again just after midnight to make the long climb out by headlamp, seven miles straight up out of heaven. That moment of turning away from the river to head back to camp is hard on the heart. It is the beginning of the end. And we always say that, always share that heartbeat's duration of sadness to leave what we love. And then Cam always says, come back with me. And I always say, yes. And in some way, at that very moment, the next trip, the dreaming, the planning, begins again. When I am able to show up in the present, in this very moment, neither ahead of myself nor behind, neither lost in the past nor seduced by the future, I am happy. The lesson is that the answer to the question, are we there yet, is always yes. There is here. This is from an Appalachia editorial by Christine Woodside entitled, What I Learned from a Leo Kotke Tape Found at the Dump. My husband found a tape by guitarist Leo Kotke at the town dump in Deep River, Connecticut, and the tape still worked, and I started listening obsessively to Leo Kotke on my old car cassette player. An early song completely grabbed me. It's called Morning is the Long Way Home. Leo Kotke himself claimed to hate the words to this song, but I ignored the strange verses and listened only to the refrain, and mourning is the long way home. 
something awakened in me. Whatever Leo Kaki thought he meant, those words explained why the mountains have changed me from a slightly reactive and late-arriving person to a more deliberate and patient one. She says, it was in the mountains where I learned that to reap the benefits of any effort, there is no shortcut. I learned to start at the beginning and to take every step, avoiding no hill and persevering through heat, cold, wet, one foot in front of the other, more slowly perhaps than I wanted to the end. Unlike some backpackers who say that they feel a little let down when they aren't on the trail, I experience a kind of euphoria from the memory of climbing mountains. This stays with me most of the time as I go about my business in the asphalt-covered world. In everyday life, as in mountain life, I try to remember that most achievements progress in tedious increments. Thanks to Leah Kotke, Christine Woodside concludes, I understand that the mountains give me time. They give me time. For me, at one time, a confirmed night owl, to have turned toward the morning, that is a rebirth. Through a guitarist whose music I rediscovered at the dump, I named the philosophy the mountains taught me, taking the long way home. One of my favorite, all-time favorite, New Yorker cartoons depicts a family of Bedouins journeying across the desert, their camels piled high with their worldly possessions. The father's camel is in the lead, and his wife and children are on camels in a line behind him. And the father has turned around to yell at his children, and you, you know what the caption says even before you see it, because you've been there either in the back seat not on a camel, but in the back seat with a parent turned to speak to you or perhaps in the driver's seat and you're turning back to your children and you're saying, stop asking if we're almost there. But in this case, it's hilarious and it's more than a little zen because the Bedouin father is saying, stop asking if we're almost there. For God's sake, we're nomads. <laughs> Well, it's great, right? So the answer to the question, are we there yet, is yes, is yes. There is here. That said, there is a lot of there that I would prefer not to be. I try not to feel that way, but you know how it is in airports and airplanes or waiting rooms or long lines or worse, sick or in pain or worst of all, with someone else who's sick or in pain and it isn't going to get better. It's inevitable, if you stop to think about it from this vantage point, that the thought arises, thank God, here is not there. And that's a good spiritual practice, isn't it? To get in touch with gratitude that there, there in one of those less desirable theirs, is not here. If you're here, is there, bless your heart. And far be it from me to imply that 
a little distraction might not be good for the soul. Let's talk about the power of imagination. If we find ourselves in one of those anywhere but here, here's, we can swim to the other side on the wave of our imagination. When William Butler Yeats writes, I shall arise and go now, and go to Innisfree. I suspect that he wasn't literally hopping up out of his desk chair and setting off to his island sanctuary. More than likely, the poem began in him as a warm thought in the middle of the cold city, standing as he writes on the pavement's gray. He was using the power of his extraordinary imagination to encourage, inspire, or comfort himself. It's beautiful. It's one of my favorites. Here you go. I will arise and go now and go to Innisfree and a small cabin built there of clay and wattles made. Nine bean rows will I have there, a hive for the honeybee, and live alone in the bee-loud glen. And I shall have some peace there, for peace comes dropping slow, dropping from the veils of the morning to where the cricket sings. There are midnights all a glimmer, and noon a purple glow, and evening full of the linnet's wings. I will arise and go now for always night and day. I hear lake water lapping with low sounds by the shore. While I stand on the roadway or on the pavement's gray, I hear it in the deep heart's core. Where do you go when you wish here were anywhere but here, wish there were here? Where is your respite, your bottom of the Grand Canyon, your Innisfree, the sanctuary of your imagination? Another trick of the imagination, a spiritual practice for turning here to there, is to learn not to give any energy to the difficult here. We can narrow our focus even to the point that almost our entire experience of the present becomes simply breathing in and breathing out. Breathing in and breathing out. I like this one for places like a rough ride in the dentist's chair, excruciating, boring lectures, and moments of deep grief. When a young soldier wrote to um, Reiner Maria Rilke, he wrote letters to him and just poured out his deepest fears. The poet responded in part, I am touched by your beautiful concern about life. 
I feel that there is no one anywhere who can answer for you those questions and feelings which in their depths have a life of their own. But even so, I believe that you will not have to remain without a solution if you trust in nature, in what is simple in nature, in the small things that hardly anyone sees and that can so unexpectedly become huge and immeasurable. If you have this love for what is humble and seek very simply as one who serves, then everything will become easier, more coherent. Not in your intellect, perhaps, but in your innermost awareness, awakeness, and knowledge. You are, he writes, so young, so much before all beginning. And I want to beg you as much as I can to be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves. Love the questions. Don't search for the answers which cannot be given to you now because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps then you will gradually, without even noticing it, live your way into the answer. Are we there yet? The answer is yes. There is here. Ram Dass's most famous book is called Be Here Now. Ironically, it was carried all over the world by enlightenment seekers everywhere. Be here now is a good mantra. Just do it is also a good mantra, or less prosaically, just put one foot in front of the other, breath after breath, as far as possible, choosing the next best step, doing the least amount of harm, loving and serving. After Michelangelo died, someone found in his studio a piece of paper on which he had written a note to his apprentice in the handwriting of his old age. Draw, Antonio. Draw, Antonio. Draw. And do not waste time. Years later, Ram Dass wrote another book, understandably spectacularly less successful, entitled Still Here, Embracing Aging, Changing, and Dying. And just as he completed that book, he stroked. Or as he says it, he was stroked, as in by the hand of God. It left him with expressive asphasia, and about a year later, his friend and colleague Meditation teacher Sharon Salzberg was writing her book on faith. Sharon writes, haltingly now, a few labored words at a time, Ram Dass asked me how work on my book was going. It's really hard, she told him. I've never had to go so deep inside myself before and bring out the words. He looked at her softly and said slowly, that's how.
I am every day now. Ram Dass's golf clubs stand abandoned in a corner of his closet. He cannot drive the sports car parked in his driveway. Living on Maui, he no longer leaves the island. Nonetheless, he has a rich and textured life, a combination of ongoing rehabilitation and writing and teaching, some of it by Skyping into conferences and some of it by the example of his sheer will and perseverance. I have an adorable picture of him with his friend, Lama Surya Das, both in Hawaiian shirts, looking radiant and happy. He is happy. Years of meditation and a devotion to meditation practice, to the spiritual life, enables him to be here now without longing for here to be different, without longing for here to be there. Beloved spiritual companions, there is no shortcut. Each of us must take every step. And even as one journey ends, another is already beginning. May we show up in the present, neither ahead of ourselves nor behind, breathing in and breathing out. Let us seek to live the questions, live in the deep heart's core. Are we there yet? The answer is always yes. There is here. <laughs>